very often leadership wants to track everything. Mm -hmm. So again, if you can show results, so let's say I can, like at Perch, we have installer level one, two, and three. If I can show that my guys are going from level one to two quicker, and the training is on a web server somewhere and we're not tracking it, yep. then yep. I can make a case for, no, we don't need to track it. Who cares how many people took the training yep. if they're getting promoted faster because they're skilling up faster. Welcome to Making Better, a podcast from Better Everyday Studios devoted to helping small learning teams have a big impact. Today, we are talking to Liz Chikowski, L&D Manager at Perch. Liz has been in learning and development since it was called training, and that training was delivered on CD-ROMs. She's worked for a range of companies, from family-owned businesses to members of the Fortune 500, and helped them train retailers, automotive manufacturers, quick-serve restaurants, and more. She has a wealth of knowledge, so let's jump in. Well, Liz, welcome to the Making Better podcast. How are you doing today? I'm excellent. How are you? Awesome. I'm doing great. I'm so excited. We are both in uh, Southern California area, so the weather is turned. Not that anybody uh, is going to shed any tears for California weather, but <laughs> but I'm enjoying life for sure. Um, so excited to have you here today. So to kick things off, I gave a little bit of an intro for you uh, early on, but I'd love to just get a quick understanding from you and your words, kind of what has your journey into and through learning and development looked like? Sure. Well, I, like many young people out of college, had no idea what I wanted to do. I was, I was a theater major. Ah, yes. <laughs> so worked in retail and moved out to California from New Jersey and um, saw an ad in the paper. Yeah, I'm old. A help wanted ad, <laughs> help wanted ad in the paper, and it was for a training and development company, but you had to have retail experience, which I had. Okay. okay. So I went and worked there, and my first client was Lazy Boy Furniture. So I'm like 23 years old building training for this <laughs> huge company with no experience whatsoever. And that was like the best place I've ever worked because I got exposed to clients like Petco and Target and Best Buy, all the big retailers that anything from a large to a family owned jewelry store in Canada to a liquor store. It was, it was amazing. And, um, went to work for some other consulting firms in Southern California, servicing the big automotive manufacturers. A lot of them are based out here in, in Torrance and SoCal. And then um, worked for Qualcomm, which is a very large company, also in San Diego, for a while on a very large L&D team and got a call one day from my retail consulting firm. They wanted me back because they were still doing DVDs and workbooks. And they got a huge client and it's like, what's e-learning? What is this stuff? What, yeah. what you're talking about reusable learning objects. What does that mean? And I'm like, <laughs> so they brought me back and I worked there for a while. And then they sold part of the company. I opened up my own company for a while and then COVID hit. So all the business went away. <laughs> all the business went away. Yeah. No more. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so now I'm with a company called Perch, which is a luxury retailer in SoCal. We sell $10,000 faucets. <laughs> and hey, you got you to take it proudly. <laughs> gold, gold plated faucets to the rich there you people. Go. Um, it's actually a fascinating company. Um, but right now I head up a L&D team of four individuals and we've got around 500 employees. Okay, awesome. So that's that's awesome. That I, I got to dive deeper into kind of that, that current 
spot then with your current company. Um, what are some of the big challenges? You know, you got a decent team for a mid, uh, mid-sized company and super high-end brands, mm-hmm. you know, super high-end products. Yeah. What are some of the particulars around learning and development in that, in that kind of environment with this really high-end product? Well, in, so we have installers, we have showrooms, and we have project coordinators. So it's not all showroom stuff, but in particular okay. with the showrooms, the business historically catered to designers and contractors and builders. Yep. And recently, our leadership team smartly went, is going after homeowners because yep. that's how you're going to expand market share. Yep. So the challenge with that is our sales consultants are used to servicing customers who make an appointment who are regularly bringing business in. They're not used to walk-in traffic. Yeah. So it's, it used to be the customers were very highly knowledgeable, came in a lot a lot of times, and now it's a totally different customer. Totally different. And um, it's a mandate that we're going to go after the homeowner segment of the world. So yeah. what do you do with that? Uh, you have to do culture change. And yeah. that's hard. Um, so what we did was we started and this isn't a traditional training and development thing. We started mystery shopping the stores. So a secret shopper comes in okay, and has a scenario, you know what, I, I need a new refrigerator, but I'm also looking at water filtration and I want to remodel my kitchen. And we see whether they get properly serviced. And then we also have a customer experience training program that teaches the sales consultants what we want right to look like. Yeah. So there's no excuse where they can go, oh, I, I wasn't trained because they have yeah. training. And so um, initially, the reaction was very negative. Yeah. Like, yeah. why are you doing this? You're upending You're shining my, the light. You're upending my world. Um, even leadership was like, oh my gosh, we didn't know our baby was so ugly. <laughs> <laughs> and since this is from about a year ago, and now it's people actually look forward to it because they're getting 100% on their shops. Yeah. And they're, they're congratulating each other. And actually, we are getting a um, platform called WorkVivo pretty soon, which is like Facebook for work. Okay. I'm really looking forward to that because that way they can high five each other on, on the platform. Yeah. So that was um, kind of a journey. But what I found with any kind of learning and development initiative, you've got to have metrics or data, whether it's a yeah. shop or we're looking at sales increases or with our installers, or do we have a lot of callbacks? Um, that is what's going to get that behavior change is actually showing results. And also, if you need resources from leadership, like let's say I wanted a new learning management system. I can't ask for that unless I'm showing results already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of a catch-22. Because without a good learning management system, nobody takes the training. But <laughs> until people are taking the training, you can't give show results. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, um, and speaking of that, um, another interesting thing I found or challenge is very often leadership wants to track everything. Mm-hmm. Speaking of an LMS, they want to track everything. But if your LMS isn't easy to get to, if you're an installer and you're on a iPhone, Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. they won't do it. So then the question becomes, do we really have to track it? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So again, if you can show results, so let's say I can, like at Perch, we have installer level one, two, and three. If I can show that my guys are going from level one to two quicker and the training is on a web server somewhere and we're not tracking it, then I can make a case for, no, we don't need to track it. Who cares how many people took the training? 
yeah. if they're getting promoted faster because they're skilling up faster. That's a really interesting point because I think, you know, so often L&D teams, we kind of fall back on completion rates and participation just because we don't, you know, what else do we do? You know, it's hard to tie it directly to any kind of outcome. We don't know the outcome, but that's such a great example of how if you, if you do take the time to identify that outcome, it so dramatically simplifies everything else in your endeavor. Maybe you don't need to track all that other stuff because if you can make the case that it's your stuff, if it's your work that's helping that happen, um, then what else matters? That, that's exactly. really interesting. Yeah. So you don't have to track everything. Yeah. What are, do you, on that kind of note of, you know, because I think a lot of teams, especially companies that have a large distributed workforce, mm-hmm. like you've seen, they run into those challenges of, you know, getting learning to that distributed workforce. So it sounds like one of the ways that you got around that without having to pay some exorbitant fee for an LMS for users that hardly ever, that that don't need to go into that training or something Mm -hmm. or all the training. um, What are some of the ways that you've found successful at getting learning to a distributed team? Sure. So for like our installers, um, and we actually didn't initiate this, the business initiated it, but they take pictures of the job site to show that the work was done, the, the you know, the $40,000 refrigerator was delivered and that no damage was done to the property. So the business bought iPads for the trucks. Um, and the reason they did that was because iPads could take better pictures. Yeah. So it, now instead of having to use their little phones, which are literally, I will show you how big our, our work phones are. They're teeny. <laughs> they're teeny. Yeah. Okay. Okay. This is a, this is a real iPhone and this is my work. Uh, so those um, are the ones that I like. I always want a smaller phone. I hate that like the world has gone to these like iPad huge. minis for phones. Yeah. <laughs> so so now they're able to get to their training on an iPad. Okay, so great. it makes it easier. Nice. Um, yeah. I haven't convinced leadership to get off the LMS yet, but it is something that we are actively working on just to make it easier for the guys to get to what they need quickly because you know, the leadership will let them sit for an hour on Monday and do training at the warehouse before they go out. But once they're on a truck, it's like, I, I yeah. can't remember how to install this built in 3000 pound refrigerator. I just need to be able to go and look, I don't want to log into yeah. an LMS. I don't, I don't want to go there. Yeah. So anything you don't want that- to log into an LMS. You don't want to have the lesson you need embedded in a giant course that you have to search through. Yeah. Yeah, so that's something we're planning on doing is just putting the videos up somewhere where they can access them quickly. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Great. Um, going back a little bit because you before you know you've worked here, you spent a lot of time working with a lot of different companies of all different sizes and all different mm-hmm. um, you know all different industries. I'm always really interested in this idea of like how learning teams are organized because it feels mm. like every company comes to a different solution. Yep. Um, how, how have you, what are some different ways that you've seen? Um, and then if there's any that have been more successful sure. or less successful. Yeah, this one's near and dear to my heart. So a lot <laughs> of, a lot of clients that I work with over the years, their entire L and D organization reports into HR. Now, yeah. I'm not saying that having some of L&D report into HR is a bad thing because certainly new hire orientation, culture, yeah. diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, all that stuff really belongs in the HR space. Um, 
but when you're doing team specific, so for example, I'm trying to train my retail stores how to do a better customer experience and how to have product knowledge. It is much, much, much better whether they report into HR or they report into the, the retail operation to have that team embedded in the retail operation. And typically yeah. if they're reporting to HR, that doesn't happen. So yeah. they, they need to walk, walk the job site, be out in the stores, understand their, you can't, train people in a retail store if you're up in some ivory tower and you've never no. you've never worked there and you don't yeah. you don't know what the customer experience currently is like and how it needs to improve so the best um, whether it's a small organization or a big company the best teams i've seen are when people who are doing job specific training have a specific stakeholder so if you've got installers and retail your installer trainer people should be embedded with that team so that's kind of yeah. the way that I've seen it work best. Yeah, that totally makes sense. I think, yeah, I've always felt that the, it, the ultimate answer always has to be some kind of matrixed organization where yeah. either you're like formally reporting to HR and informally reporting out to the business leader or you're formally reporting to the business leader and you're informally reporting to HR. It's, it's got to be one or the other because there's just as many. I don't know, I'll ask you this question. Have you ever seen it where because of that need, you know, to have training out in the business that it facilitates the creation of, of silos and you have like this sales training team and the customer support training team and, and, and they almost become at odds with one another. Not, I haven't seen that happen. Okay. That's great. Yeah. But I've, I've typically worked at companies with, with very strong leadership where everybody's rowing in the same direction. Like we all have the same goal yeah. where you get siloed. Yeah is where people don't have clarity on where the company is going. So, sure. so for example, if you have a very strong senior leadership team and they're doing those regular town halls, if it's a small company, it could be in the building or if it's a big company, it's online, but everybody knows, okay, here's, here's where we're going. What questions do you have? And then what are the problems that you're having? And then at the next town hall, we fix it. That kind of prevents those silos because everybody's getting the same information. That makes sense. Yeah. That totally makes sense. It, it It is such a perfect example of just like so many things, so many problems that people come to training for aren't actually training problems. Yeah. And, you know, so there's something else going on. It makes sense that a lot of training problems aren't even training. Like the problems that we have, the root cause isn't the training. It's like something else. It's some kind of cultural thing. And try as anyone might, you can't create a learning culture that's like divorced from your company culture. Like it's just not going to yeah, happen. Yeah, that or we don't have standards. So if you don't mm. have standards to train to, Training's not going to help, right? Yeah. So it's like, yeah. okay, if if you can walk into, I'm sorry I go to retail so much, but that's been my life for the past no, 25 great. years. Yeah. If I go into a retail store and no one's saying hello, but leadership, leadership isn't saying, no, you have to greet customers. Yeah. It, training isn't going to make them greet customers. Yes. Right? So. 100%. Yeah. It's still the incentives there. And yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm, so how often do you see that outside of kind of like the incentives? Do you often see that it comes down to a, um, I mean, a documentation challenge Absolutely. of like, you don't know what, what, what does right look like? Absolutely. So, um, 
I when I owned my own company, I did a large um, a large project for a company up in Canada called Robert Rogers Communications, and they're like they're the same thing as Verizon, but they're up there. And um, one of the things we did as part of that project was create SOPs, yeah. standard standard operating procedures. Be Absolutely. Because without that, the manager has nothing to stand on. I mean, as a manager in a company, if you don't have a policy to address what happened, you know, okay, I'll give you an example. What if two people create a sale? How does it, the commission split go? And if it's just up to, it creates all, it creates all kinds of, of uh, battling and controversy. And all you needed was a policy. Yeah, and it puts the manager in a horrible position because then the manager has to make the decision, and yeah. suddenly everybody hates the manager. Well, it's not the manager's yeah. fault; it's the company's fault for not having a policy. So, yeah, SOPs yeah. are really important. Yeah. So, it, when you whether it's that example or other examples, um, how do you often see it? Is it is it kind of an identification of, uh, hey, we can't do training because there's not an SOP. You need to go write an SOP, or is it like? We're going to help you write an SOP. Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah, yeah. We wind up, um, even though it's tip, it's really not L&D's job to do that. <sighs> mm -hmm. If my experience has been in less L&D helps, it either doesn't happen or it's so poorly written that there's all kinds of holes in it. Yeah. Like it doesn't include the why is the biggest thing I've yeah. seen. They, they just say, do this, do this, do this, but it doesn't explain why you need to do it that way. Yep. Um, or it doesn't consider the impact on the other teams. So they're only mm, looking okay. at they're only looking at their own team and the but mm -hmm. it doesn't look at okay, if I'm in a warehouse and this is our policy, how does it affect how the guys load up the installation trucks in the morning? Yep. So yeah, I I find that typically L&D unfortunately has to get involved in that process because as instructional designers or whatever you want to call us, um, we think that way. We we think that holistic like, what does somebody need to know in order to be able to do something? They need the why, they need the what, and then they need the specific how, step by step. Yeah. And a lot of yeah, operators it, don't think that way. And it's so interesting, though, because it's it becomes so second nature to us. Mm -hmm. I, I find that I'm like, how how do you not think this way? Right. Almost, right. you know, it's interesting. Exactly. Uh, so if you so if you're if you're a new training person or you're in a new company that's getting called in to to help with this stuff and you find yourself in the situation where it's like they say they need training but there's no they don't have a process they don't they I need to help them write SOPs uh, that can be I know for myself that feels really intimidating it's like I'm not a technical writer like I don't you know how, how what advice would you give to somebody to kind of get started in writing an SOP or, or if nothing else, like what have you done to kind of help facilitate that within a team? So um, taking the time to sit back and observe what's actually going on. So mm -hmm. give me, so if you're the business unit, give me someone who does it really, really well, the way that it works. Let me shadow them and then let me interview them. Then give me somebody who, doesn't do it really well. So I can see the impact of that on, mm. on other teams. Super interesting. I like that. And then document it. And then you have to socialize it. So you, you get in a meeting with the stakeholders and be like, look, is this it? But then, yeah. then test it. Like give it to, let's say you've got 25 people on a team, give it to five people, let them do it that way and make sure it works before you publish it. 
I'm thinking, I don't know if you've seen this video that it popped up a couple of years ago of a dad had his like five-year-old write directions of how to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And and he's like, just like, there's just these giant leaps in logic and he's like uh-huh. rubbing the bread around yeah. on the table and stuff. Yeah. Um, that's funny. Yeah. It's so, it's so great. And I think, but it's true, you know, a lot of, even when companies do have SOPs, so often they kind of look like that. And it's one of the benefits I feel like for having an outside group like L and D come in to help yeah. with the creation of that stuff, because the people in the organization, there's one set of them that that know the leaps and they, so they don't see them because they know the information. But then there's another group of people who are usually new people who don't know the leaps, but they're afraid to raise their hand mm-hmm. and ask about it. Yep. Whereas we don't care. I, I always like to say like, my job is to be the dumb person in the room. Like that's my job. You know, so I can ask those. I can like that doesn't make any sense. That what I yeah. don't understand what you just said there. Well, I mean, you brought up a really good point. Is um, a lot of times people I've been in situations where people are like, "Well, you're not an expert on blah 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 blah. How are you going to train on it?" I'm like, "I'm the perfect person to train on it because I don't know anything. So if I understand it, your new people will understand it as well, and you've automatically you've just expanded your hiring pool." by a huge amount because you can hire somebody with no experience and teach them. You, you can hire somebody with great people skills or whatever it is that they, you know, that great organizational skills, but they don't have to come from the industry. And all all of a sudden you can just hire so many poor people. Yeah. And I think that right there is such an indicator. uh, When you look at resumes that are asking for such specific experience, Mm -hmm. it really is an indication of, in my mind, almost kind of like, the average state of training across all companies and industries. You know, I so I came from the military. The military is training, right? Yep. Like that's what the military is. Yep. And so as a result, I was used to a world where they didn't care what job you did. They, you know, it was all about it was all about bigger picture like leadership ability or communication ability. And you were constantly getting moved from one job to the other that you and you had never done anything like it before. Mm-hmm. And I was shocked when I left of like, you know, a middle manager at a power plant, like they want somebody with 15 years of experience at a power plant or or whatever, you know, it's like, there's like five people that can, that can fill that role. And I had never even really thought of it until you were just mentioning now that that disconnect really does come down to how rigorous is the training? Because if you don't have the training, then you have to artificially limit your hiring pool. Yeah. And I mean, even if you don't have a big training team, there's there's ways you, you can take somebody who's a super producer at a specific job and have them make YouTube videos. Yeah. it's not You don't need an L&D department. It doesn't have to be fancy, you know. So it's, there's always a way to do it. Totally. I think that's, that's really, really correct. And that's, I mean, the number one place I I, I still believe, you know, probably YouTube today is the number one learning platform in the world. Absolutely. It's just where everybody goes. Mm -hmm. Um, Kind of on that note, do you have any thoughts on, hadn't planned on on thinking about this, but um, what makes that good like because everybody knows everybody's seen a bat like it's not just go grab the top producer put him in front of a camera say go like at least 50 percent of that is probably not going to be that great what do do you look for that's going to make it good Uh, i'll give you a great example so we recently did this with um so cabinet hardware are like the poles and things on your cabinets and we sell like gold plated (laughs) you know we just sell ridiculously expensive leather poles and things like that. So we're building out door hardware product knowledge. And 
there's not a lot of information out there. So I've got a, a guy named Eddie, who's my SME, who's a door hardware salesperson. And he's amazing, but he was, he's all over the place. So I, I interviewed him. It's as simple as interviewing him with specific questions right. that I, I that I, and the other thing is if people are nervous on camera, if they're looking at the person interviewing them and not at the camera, automatically mm. all that nervousness goes away. We're just having a conversation. So highly recommend interviewing, making sure the lighting is good. Um, yeah. a, a basic lighting kit does not cost a lot of money. If it's dark, you're not going to be able to see the person. Yep. Um, and then, you know, things like background noise and things like that, but interviewing somebody gives it automatically gives it structure without that, I, w without that individual having to do a lot of work because you don't want your SMEs to have to work. Yeah, no, I a hundred percent. And I think that's a big one. And that is a brand new skill that I think we can add to the list of things that, um, things in learning and development is kind of those interview skills or podcast host. You know, that's really what it comes down yep. to is being a good podcast host. Yep. Like you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Um, yeah. Awesome. Uh, well, anything, what else, what else, a anything else you wanted to make sure to cover yeah, today? Actually, um, you know, you've had a ton of experience, so. I actually did make notes. Awesome. Oh, perfect. Yeah. What <laughs> else you got? One thing I wanted to cover is a lot of companies focus on, the individual job training of the individual jobs in the company, and they don't focus on their managers. Mm. And what happens is if you don't teach someone how to manage, none of that training works. It's a waste yeah. of money because the, yeah. the very few people are going to go through a training program and change their behavior. It just doesn't happen. I don't care yeah. how good it is and how compelling yeah. and See, people change their behavior when they have a good manager who cares about them, who makes the work meaningful, who creates a motivating environment, who clearly explains what the company's standards are and gives you like metrics for performance. So you know if you're doing a good job and yeah. that makes you want to come back to work because nobody wants to go to work and suck. So yeah. um, that management training of how to be an effective manager, how to set standards, how to reward people how to create an environment that's motivating, all that stuff. If you don't do that, nothing else matters. And I've seen a ton. I'm like, literally a lot of companies do not invest in management training. Which is so interesting because I think, you know, I think the advice that I always give is like, if you're just starting a new L&D team or, you know, your company's building or whatever, what what's the minimum required elements? And it's like, onboarding and manager training. Yep. It's like, those are the two highest ROI things yep. you could ever Absolutely. do. Yeah. And then, and just like you mentioned, if you don't have those things, but have excellent other stuff, all you're doing is upgrading the new hires of other companies because they're just going to leave. <laughs> yeah, they will. Cause they'll yeah. get frustrated. Yeah. I mean, research shows, I think, isn't it like the number one reason why people leave is they have a bad manager. Yeah, I think that's definitely it. Yeah. I mean, that's the phrase, right? People join companies and leave managers. That's and, and says. we often, promote our best employees to managers because they're good at the job, but they don't know how to manage people. So, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So on that note, then, you know, you see it missed so often. A lot. What do you think? Yeah. What, what is, what's the lowest hanging fruit? Like if somebody knows they need to start investing in their managers, what do you think is the first thing they, or simplest thing to do. So this is so funny. So people typically they'll default, they'll default to performance management or progressive discipline, which is writing somebody up. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, 
that won't work because you're just getting rid of people. So, <laughs> so yeah. I think um, interviewing and hiring and training like and training and coaching, those four things. Okay. How do you interview to get the people with in the right roles for the right reasons? Mm -hmm. And then how do you make the offer and make it attractive so they'll want to come work for you? Yeah. And then how do you train to do the job? Because I don't care how good your L&D team is. The managers are the ones training the people when it comes down to 100%. it. 100%. And then coaching. So how do you give feedback to somebody so that they feel valued so that you're noticing when they're doing a great job? And that way, when they're a little off, you're just course correcting. You're not coming down with a yeah. heavy hammer and writing them up. But what I typically yeah. find is that when you ask somebody, hey, we're going to do management training. What should we do first? Let's talk about writing people up. And I'm like, oh, my God. No, no, no. It's, <laughs> it's so true when I think back on it. Like performance management is always that hot topic. It's always what people want to start with. That's interesting. Because it's easy. It's easy to, you know. Yeah. But it's it's harder to have feedback conversations with people. If yeah. you don't do it on a regular basis. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, well, Liz, thank you so much for taking the time. Um, you, we've, we've covered we've covered a lot, but hopefully we got a few nuggets um, and then maybe we can come back sometime and we can have you on again. That'd be great. I really appreciate it. Thank you. It was fun. Awesome. Thank you. Bye.